Hey guys, Pastor Jürgen here. We're so excited you're tuning into one of our amazing messages. What you're about to hear is going to be fresh, it's going to be real, and it's going to be powerful. It's going to help you to grow stronger in your walk with God. It's going to put faith on the inside of you. It's going to cause you to be able to walk in greater dimensions of blessing and enlargement so that you can be a blessing to other people. Well, lean in, enjoy the word. God bless you. Um, so we're starting a new series, uh, just talking about counterculture things, some some biblical cultured things, as well as awakened culture things, and just kind of being able to share with you over the next few weeks about those types of things. But uh, something kind of was happening in my world a few weeks ago, and I really felt um, God want me to share this message. He He dropped this into my spirit, and I just want to ask, start by asking a question. Um, have any of you ever felt like life was happening to you? Okay, yes. Our hands, yeah, okay. All right. What about, like, have you ever felt that decisions were being made about your life or your family's lives and you had no say or control over it? Anyone else? Yes. Or maybe things were just, there were so many things coming at you and so many uh, issues or concerns or family things or work things and all this, you just kind of got overwhelmed and like shut down. Anyone else? Okay, the rest of you don't, you don't have to be super Christians. Those of you who didn't lift your hand, like, you don't have to be super Christians here. We're all human beings, and we all have things. We all have things. But I just want to share with you today, my message title is Power, You Get to Choose, Full or Less. We can choose live powerful lives or powerless lives. And as believers, we are meant to be empowered. We are meant to live in power, yet we find ourselves so many times feeling powerless to the things that are happening to us or around us or in us. But I want to tell you what the Bible says about us first as believers before we get fully started here. If God is for us, who or what can be against us? It tells us in Romans 31. In Romans 8, 35 and 37, it says this, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? Yet in all these things, we are what? More than conquerors through him who loves us. Luke 10, 19 tells us that we have been given, you and I have been given authority over all the power of the enemy. In Romans 8, 11, it tells us that the same power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead lives on the inside of you and I. Psalm 8, 6 says, you have made him to have dominion over the works of your hands. Him is us, you and I. You have made him to have dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet or our feet. Matthew 19, 26 says, with men, it is impossible, but with God, all things are possible. All things are possible. Yet many times as Christians, we can feel and experience quite the opposite of what these scriptures say we're meant to be living like. We find ourselves living under things that are meant to be under our feet, or we find ourselves being ruled by things that we as believers are supposed to be ruling over. We hear and we say the verse over and over again that all things are possible with God, yet we're continually spewing impossibilities out of our mouth. 
And when I reflect on my own life, like my own life personally, there have the times I have felt most powerless in this life, there's been two key factors. And I want to share those things with you today because I don't want any of us to ever feel powerless again, no matter what is happening around us, in us, or to us. Because I believe together, if we apply these principles in the Bible, together we can live powerful lives like we were meant to live. Amen? Amen. So the first point and the key to living a powerful life is prayer. Prayer. If I'm being completely honest, my first response isn't always to pray when troubles come. I know, I know. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I still, I forget still in all the years I've loved, I've been saved for 40 years. I got saved when I was four. I've been saved for 40 years. And sometimes even I forget that complaining and whining isn't the same thing as praying. <laughs> the Bible says in James 5, 16, the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. The prayer is powerful and effective, not the complaint of a righteous person. A complaint of the righteous person is powerless and completely ineffective. But when you forget that prayer is the most powerful tool we have as believers, it's really good to have friends like Pastor Tessa in your life. Because beautiful Pastor Tessa, a couple of weeks ago, uh, had to remind me when I was, you know, sharing and you need people in your life that you can like trust and like share. And, you know, God has called us to so many things. We know and we believe that God is going to give us Balboa Campus two more buildings this year. We've got prophetic words over it. We know it's going to be happening. And, and we got prophetic words and we know that we are meant to move into a new territory, John and I, and buy another dream home and all these things. But, you know, you spend the last four or five weekends driving around, calling every property, looking at every house that you could possibly imagine when things aren't breaking. I started to maybe find myself not praying about it as much as I was complaining about it. And I called beautiful Pastor Tessa and she said this to me. She said, Becky, be careful not to curse what God has already promised you. I was like, ah, that's so good. She goes, we, she goes, she, she, and then she, so, so she goes, remember what you just preached about on Wednesday? And I'm like, oh, there's nothing like getting your own preaching material thrown back in your face. I'm like, hey, I'm good for it. We all need it. We all need it. But if you don't have a Pastor Tessa, it may be good to have a husband like mine who will throw a cup of water in your face when you're spiraling downward in your tale of troubles. Yep, that did happen. In the kitchen, full makeup, looking good. And I'm just having a moment. I haven't been praying. And when you haven't been praying, you can get really overwhelmed. And, and so I, I just started like, oh my gosh, and then we have to do this. And when am I going to have time? Babe, we still haven't. And I'm just like, I'm just winding up, winding up. And he's just looking at me and I'm not even giving a chance to say anything. She just goes, Shh. <laughs> and he throws a full cup of water in my face. It sure shut me up because I was so in shock. I just standing there completely soaked and like water's dripping off my face. And I just, honestly, it, it was quite helpful. It actually really helped. Cause I just, I, it like, it snapped me out of it. And, and it was helpful for our situation, but then I don't have a propensity towards violence. 
So just make sure if you're going to pull a stunt like that, you know the person well enough to know if you're going to be safe. Okay? Okay? That wouldn't, that wouldn't work for Pastor Jeff. So, so, and honestly, I just started laughing because it just broke me out of this cycle of complaining. And then he started laughing. He's like, get a hold of yourself and go pray. <laughs> like, <laughs> okay. And so, but the times I have felt most power, powerless in my life is when I worried and complained instead of contending and petitioning heaven in prayer. You know, when you complain, you're repeatedly declaring that you are a victim, a victim, victim of the circumstances and the situation. When you're repeatedly declaring these things, that you have no power to change the situation, but we are not powerless. We are powerful when we use our ability to pray in Jesus' name. The Bible says, I complained and my spirit was overwhelmed. Oh, let that settle for a moment. It's in Psalm 77.3. I complained and my spirit was overwhelmed. When you complain, you will never feel powerful. You will always feel powerless. Worry is wasted time. And complaining will never capture the attention of heaven. So let's talk about the powerful weapon we have in prayer. And this is where it gets really exciting. So if you don't yet understand uh, that if you don't feel empowered when you pray, you may not have the full revelation of it yet. And I want you to know, I lived 29 years of my life feeling powerless when it came to praying. Because like so many Christians, I had reduced our, our privilege of prayer into a ritual or more traditional or an obligation or the thing I did every night as I fell asleep as I prayed. That was my prayer life. So let's take the Lord's Prayer, for example. So many of us could recite it in this room, but does it actually hold power for you? So we all know it. So our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Let's stop right there. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So this is Jesus teaching us, all of us believers, how to pray. Like we need to pay attention if we're going to realize the power within these words. But when they're more traditional or things we just say and do, we forget that they're not just meaningless, powerless words. And we forget the power that lies beneath these words when we pray as we're ought. So the Bible is teaching us how to pray here. But a lot of us have been taught that everything that happens in, in the earth, good and bad, is God's will. Like that God's will just automatically happens. So if God's will automatically happens, then why do we even need to pray? Like if God's will is just automatically going to happen, like why pray? Or if God's will automatically happens, then why would he teach us to pray, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven, which would allude to the fact that his will doesn't always happen in the earth and we need to pray heaven down to earth so we can experience more heaven on earth. 
And this may feel a little controversial for some who grew up in a religious Christian home like I did, attending religious churches, is that I want to propose to you that God's will rarely happens in the earth. It rarely happens in the earth, and I'll, and I'll explain why. So what we need, when we need to find out what God's will is, we can look at three things. We can look at the scriptures, what his promises tell us, and what, what is promised to us, what his will is for our life. We can look at heaven, because heaven is God's perfect will. And we can look at the life of Jesus, who was God's will in action in the earth. So when we think about heaven, Revelations 21.4 says, Heaven is a place where God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There shall be no more death, nor sorrow, no crying. There shall be no more pain from the former things that have passed away. That is what God's will is. And then now look at the life of Jesus. The Bible tells us in John 6, 38, for I have come, Jesus, I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. So if we want to know what the will of the father is, we can actually look at Jesus's life and what he did here on the earth to find out what God's will is. So what did Jesus do in his time on the earth? He forgave sins. The Bible says he healed all who were sick. He set all people free from demonic oppression. He ministered to the brokenhearted. He cast out wickedness and darkness. And wherever he went, he brought light, life, and hope. That is the will of our father. So if God's will automatically and always happens in the earth, then why do we still see sin and wickedness and darkness and oppression and pain? That is why Jesus teaches us to pray, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We actually have to contend for God's will to happen in the earth through the power of our prayers. And we have to do this. Why? Because we have an enemy. We have an enemy who also has a will. God, the father has that will for us, but we have an enemy who has a will that is clearly defined in John 10, 10. It says that their enemy has come to steal, to kill, and destroy our lives. That is his will outworking in the earth because he does have power in the earth. And that is why we cannot be passive in our prayers. Prayer, praying is not a passive event. Praying is warfare. Praying is powerful. I need you to understand that prayers are not just ritual things we do and say. It has the power to change everything in the earth. I remember when they, they told us that our four-year-old son was allergic to dust, like severely allergic to dust. We didn't understand. He was always, he had so much mucus and he would, he would gag on the mucus and he would vomit like, like multiple times a day. He would be playing on his little basketball league, running up and down the court and they would have a trash can for him at either end because he would run off the court in vomit because there was so much dust on the basketball court. They had a little trash can outside of his preschool because when he needed to, to vomit, he would just vomit out all this mucus that was building up from the dust. I'm like, this is not God's will for my son. God died so that we could be healed in our bodies. This is out of alignment with God's will. This is the enemy's will to destroy my son's life, to destroy his joy, destroy his livelihood. So when we finally woke up to the fact that we need to take authority over this, all we did was we prayed and we rebuked that allergy. We canceled it in Jesus name. We bound it up and we declared healing be loosed in his life. And he was completely healed from the allergy of dust. It's, 
We have to assert our authority and, and, and assert our authority over the will of our enemy and assert the God's will over that situation. Prayer is powerful. And there is a battle over your life, your family's life, this city, and this nation. Ephesians 6, 12 says, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against the spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. That who our, that is who our enemy is here on the earth. So we cannot fight our enemy with natural weapons because he is not natural. He is supernatural. And our supernatural weapon is prayer. And we have authority to bind the enemy's plans and schemes for our lives with the truth spoken in Matthew 18, 18, where it says, assuredly, I say to you, whatever you you and I bind on earth will be bound in heaven. And whatever you, you and I loose on earth, it will be loose in heaven. So we got to get good at binding the enemy's schemes and plans over our lives, our families' lives, our children's lives, the state's lives, and the city's lives. Amen? Amen. You see, prayer in part is asking. The Bible says we have not because we ask not. So prayer in part is asking, asking for things we desire or we are believing for. However, that is just in part prayer is asking, but our prayers are also commanding and declaring and permitting or not permitting and binding and loosing and asserting our authority and dominion over what? All the power of the enemy. So we don't need to say, if it is your will, God, can you just heal this person? We don't, when we know it's God's will, we don't need to ask if it's his will, if he might just do something. If it's his will, and we know what his will is to heal, to set captives free, to bring life, to bring hope, to bring health, to bring strength, to bring freedom from oppression, addictions, mental health, all these things, that's God's will. So we don't need to come to him humbly and ask that if he would just bring healing or freedom. No, we don't ask cancer to go. We tell it to go in Jesus name because it's in alignment with God's will. We don't ask the tumor to shrivel up and die. We tell it it has to by the blood of Jesus. We don't ask for people to be set free. We command those spirits of oppression and addiction and mental health disorder to be loosed from their lives. We don't have to ask. We command those things because we are in perfect alignment with the will of God. So we have the full weight of heaven, the full weight of the cross backing up every word we pray. That's in alignment with his will. Amen. Amen. Hebrews 4.16 says, let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace and help in the time of need. We don't come, we don't have to come pitifully as we are begging for God to do something in our life when he just can't wait and he already has plans to do something amazing in our life. We declare those things. We command those things. When our prayers shift from passive prayers tainted with unbelief to declarations backed by the word and the will of God, supernatural things happen. Oh. And I'm so grateful that so many of you are here because 29 years of my life, I never knew I could take authority over these things. And I felt so powerless to overcome a spirit of fear and anxiety that ruled every hour of my day. 
Because church has never told me that I could pray thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And so for 29 years of my life, I lived plagued with things I never should have been living under. And so my heart is just overwhelmed to know that you're here and you're hearing this. Because I just know what's going to start happening. I just know what God's going to start doing in your lives, in your family's lives, when you grab a hold of this powerful truth that we don't have to be powerless. We are powerful with Jesus. You'll never feel more powerless when you only complain. It's when you understand like who he is, who you are, who lives on the inside of you. And when you learn your authority in prayer, you will never feel powerless again. So we need to turn our worries into warfare and our complaints into contending in prayer. And I want to personally, if you don't know, like so many years of my life spent powerless, if you feel that way or you don't know how to pray in power or you don't yet understand your full authority or how to bind the devil, I want to personally invite you to one of our prayer meetings. Prayer is not a passive sport in this church because we understand the power that it holds. So every Tuesday morning, yes, it's at 5.30 a.m. men. Come on. Come on, men. 5.30 a.m. This place is jam-packed with men praying and warfaring on behalf of you, our families, and our city and this nation. And every Thursday morning at 7.30 and at 9.30, the ladies pray at Cherished Prayer. And these are the things we do. We bind and we loose. We command wickedness to go. We command righteousness to come back into government. We command these things. And it is the most encouraging time together. If you're feeling hopeless about what's happening in this nation, get to prayer and you'll be hopeless no more. So we need to pray. And pray, prayer is the faith component to be powerful. But I want to put it to you today that it cannot just be prayer alone. We have to add works to our prayer. James 2, 17 through 22 says, Thus also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But someone will say, You have faith, and I have works. Show me your faith without your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe there is one God. You do well. Even the demons believe and tremble. But do you know, do you want to know, O foolish man, that faith without works is dead? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered Isaac his son on the altar? Do you see that faith was working together with his works and by works faith was made perfect? So the Bible talks a lot about that we cannot please God without faith. We need to have faith. But this scripture actually, and many scriptures take it another step further, because true faith is shown and made perfect, the Bible says, when you're willing to activate what you're believing for in faith by your works. A farmer doesn't just pray and believe for a mighty harvest. He has to work. He has to work the ground and plow the ground and plant the seeds and water the seeds and drive away all the animals that would want to, to steal his crop. 
Faith without works is dead. It's one thing to believe, just pray and believe for a dream home and your little holy huddle. It's another thing to pray, but then sacrifice for a down payment and then get pre-qualified and then start putting offers in on homes. It's one thing to believe for this amazing job, but it's quite another to get off the couch and go knock on doors or maybe fill out that application or maybe just take a job that may not be the job while you're waiting for the dream job. Sometimes we have to work, put work to our faith. You desire to have a healthy, thriving marriage. You look at other marriages and you wish you had what they had, but are you willing to do what they did to get the healthy marriage? You can pray and believe all you want, but unless you start spending some quality time and going out on some date nights and having some conversations and maybe go to counseling and maybe have a little bit or a lot of sex, you may not ever have that kind of marriage if you don't start putting the works into the thing you're believing and praying for. And all the men said, amen. You're welcome. You're welcome. I'll get you guys later another day. But Christians can fall into this trap of just praying and just believing and thinking that that's enough. And then we fall short at the point where it comes to our works, activating the thing we are believing for. We do it all the time as believers. Just praying and believing and hiding away is not enough. Sometimes we can misinterpret hard work as not being God's will. All of a sudden it gets hard when I go, it must not be God's will. Well, the scripture says, ask, seek, and knock that the door will be open to you. Guess what? You're knocking because the door is closed. It's not meant to be easy. We don't just get to walk through every open door with just our, our prayer. Sometimes we have to go knock and we have to keep knocking. And sometimes we have to kick the door down to ensure God's will comes to pass in our lives. It takes a lot of hard work and nothing was ever promised that it would be easy. Hard work does not mean it is not the will of God. I want to share two quick stories with you. Well, they're not so quick, but I think we got time. That okay? All right. We have to put works to our faith for it to be made perfect. You know, 2018 was a very significant year for John and I. It had been eight years since we had lost everything. We had 13 properties. We owned our beautiful home. We had $300,000 in our bank account. And we lost everything when the market crashed. We lost all the properties and we had to let go of our own home. So this year, 8, 2018, the Bible, the number eight represents resurrection and new beginnings. And so we really were feeling like this was our year to like come back and stop renting and own a home again. And so um, we were believing for that and praying for that. And then we got a prophetic word from Mike Maiden that, um, you know, everything that had been lost would be restored and recovered. And, and, and year eight was, was the time to do that. And so immediately it, just that prophetic word of faith activated something in, in us. And we started looking at homes. We started looking at homes and we looked at probably 30 different homes. And once again, God always calls us to buy homes in the height of the market. I don't know why I don't prefer it, but I guess that's where he gets to show off the most. And so, you know, as it, again, it was like the height of the market at that point. And we're looking at 30 homes, you know, it's not our house. And then one day I was preaching here and John left with the kids and they drove by an open house and he called me. He's like, babe, it's ours. This is our house. Me and the kids stood in the backyard and then we went up to the master and we prayed and we prophesied and we declared that I know this is ours. You have to go see it on your way home. 
And so I drove in um, and I pulled in and I walked into that house and right away I'm like, oh yeah. Like, so 30 homes didn't really like feel like this was our home. That was nice, but it never didn't feel that. And so, but right when I walked in, I knew, I knew. And I heard the agent going, oh yeah, there was a guy that came in with his kids and he told me he's he's buying this house and this is his house and he's just going to get together an offer and he's going to send his wife. I'm like, oh, hi, I'm the wife. I think that was my husband. Hi. And so, you know, I, you know, and I'm like, yeah, this is it. I was like, yep, we'll be getting an offer to you. Like this, this is our house. And so we left and, but we we were in a place where the house was about $150,000 more than we were pre-qualified for. And so it was well out of our price range. And we just, we, we let, we were communicating, Hey, it's going to take us a couple days to get some more things in order and figure out, you know, the down payment and all this, but it's, we're, we're our con or our offers coming in. But as we were trying to get our things together, the house went under contract with somebody else. And even when it did, there was just something in me. I'm like, no, it's our house. Like I just know it. And so every day we prayed, every day we prayed as a family, we drove by the house every day and we prayed and we prophesied and we declared that that was our home. And we would pray that the contract would be canceled in Jesus name and that they would find another house that they would want to buy that they liked better. Now I didn't want to like curse the people. I was just cursing the contract. I wanted the people to be blessed. I'm not mean. And so, you know, we were praying and we were prophesying and I even started packing and selling my furniture. Like I, 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 I did. And, and I don't recommend it unless God tells you to. So don't take my story as permission to do crazy things. Like if you're going to be crazy, you better hear from Jesus. Okay. And so, so for three weeks, this house was under contract. It's going to close in one week's time. I'm still packing and selling my furniture. I'm like, okay, Jesus. Now it's about time, you know, and, and also I was like, you know, what? I'm just going to write the family a letter. I just thought I'm just going to write them a letter. The house is about to close and be owned by somebody else, but I'm going to write this letter. And I just kind of just shared who we were, that we were pastors in San Diego. And our heart was to see people's lives changed and transformed in this house that we'd hold meetings and discipleship groups where people would grow in a relationship with God. We just kind of just shared like our heart and our vision for this home. And um, I was about to put it in the mail. And then John had driven by the house and he said, the moving trucks there, they're actually moving now. Like they're out of the house. Like it's not going to get there if you mail it. And so then I prayed and I'm like, Lord, do I go drive it over? Like, is that too stalkerish? Is that again, you have to hear from the Lord before you do crazy things. But I really, I did. I felt a piece about it. So I, I got my daughter all ready to go and I put the biggest, cutest bow in her hair and we drove over to that house and I recognized the owners cause I had seen their photos in the house. And I, I said, Hey, hi, you don't know me, but we actually looked at your house and, um, you know, we are, we were hoping to buy it, but I know it's under contract. And I said, I know you guys are moving and it's about done, but I just wanted to give you this letter. And I just said, so should anything ever happen with the current contract? I just want you to know that like we're here and we would love to have the opportunity to be in this home. And so I just, I just said that. And I, I, we, we left, we left and it was about three days later that we got a phone call from the seller's agent that said, you won't believe it. The deal just fell out. They don't want to put the house back on the market because they only want to sell it to you. Like, how amazing is God? 
But that was the faith part. That was the praying part. And now the real work began because guess what? Remember it was 150 more than we were qualified for. So the loan that they said we could get, they decided to tell us that we could no longer have that loan. So now we had no loan and we are calling bank after bank, trying to get someone to qualify us, to give us the loan that would enable us to get this house. And because it was the height of the market, the interest rates start going up. So now we're scrambling, calling every bank, like, can you loan us the money? Loan us the money. The interest rates are going up. And now the interest rates are over 4%, which then excluded us from being able to financially afford the home again. And so then we're praying and we're believing and we're asking and we're knocking. And John's like, babe, the only way we're going to get this house, if we can get, we have to get a loan and then we have to get a interest rate under 4%. He's like, but that doesn't even exist. And I go, yeah, it does in heaven. That's what I said. So I started praying, God, below 4%, below 4%. And then all of a sudden, this bank out of nowhere, while well, we were knocking, we were knocking. It wasn't just Jesus. Like, we were doing our part. They, they, called and they said, we, we can fund you the money, and we found a loan for you for 3.625. I'm like, see? It existed in heaven. And so, so we were able... we. So we had, during this whole process, we were doing all these things. We had to ask for an extension and made the agent so mad and so mad that she actually called us and said, we have a full cash offer and I'm about to basically get rid of you guys. She sent us the offer. Like it's right here dangling in front of her face, like a big giant. And we're like, no, no, it's our house in Jesus name. And we did all of these things. We worked really hard. And we got the house. We didn't even just, we didn't even need the extension. We ended up closing before the original closing date because that's how good our God is. We prayed, we prophesied, we declared, but we also worked really, really hard. We had to work to get the contract. We had to work to get the down payment. We had to work to get the loan and the interest rate. But I just wonder how many promises we don't receive or we miss out on because we stopped at the point of prayer. Faith without works is dead. Faith and works is the most powerful combination we could ever apply in our Christian faith. Amen? Amen. I have one more story I'd like to share with you just to really encourage you to not just become Christians who believe and pray, but that actually put actions in work and activate their faith so it can be made perfect. Um, This last week, Well, I'll start with this. I believe a lot of the mess that we're in, in our school system, in our state, and in this nation is because as believers, a lot of us have only prayed and we've neglected the working responsibility we have as the salt and the light of the earth. So I would assume in this room that we all want California to turn around, right? We love this place. It's the most beautiful city. We all want righteous people to rule in places of authority because that's what God's will is, that righteous people would rule in the place of authority. No right-minded Christian wants ungodly principles being taught to our children in in our schools. And no right-minded Christian would want wicked laws to be passed in our land that they and their children now have to live under. So if we're praying for these things to turn around and believing that they could, we need to ask ourselves, what have we done from a works perspective, to ensure that the things we're believing for actually can come to pass. Because faith without works is dead. I need you to understand we are not powerless. 
when it comes to what is happening in our city and in our state and in this nation. We are not powerless in regards to those things. This past Tuesday, Pastor John and I and and some other pastors and team members were able to fly out to Sacramento on Tuesday to fight the bill, AB 2223, that allows a baby to be killed up until 28 days after it's been born without any criminal conviction or consequence. Listen to that again. It allows a baby to be killed 28 days after it has been born born without any criminal conviction or consequence. So I just want to share with you some actual facts and feedback from that day. Uh, The bill passed through that second phase of committees with flying colors. Democrats voting 11 for the bill, Republicans three against the bill. And it will now make its way to additional voting before it becomes law. And we had the privilege and honor to speak to one of our senators, Brian Jones, who, who is um, in this territory. He's our representative. And we were able to, to talk with him in the halls there of the Capitol. And he said these things. He said, and he's a God-fearing man. He's a God-fearing man, full of faith and full of hope. That's why he's there because he's putting his faith and belief into action and taking his rightful place to try to turn things around. And he said, unless there's an act of God, this bill is expected to pass the Senate with flying colors. And he he said, this is why. He said, because there's 31 Democratic seats and there's nine Republican independent seats and Democrats rarely, if ever, break party line with voting. So he said, this bill is expected to pass and become law unless there's an act of God. And then he went on to say this to us. He said, again, he's a man of faith and hope. He's there because he has hope and he's full of faith. He said, the only, he said, California is being destroyed and it will be destroyed unless, he said, the only hope for California is if pastors and leaders start waking up and educating their congregations on the issues at hand. And he said, and the only true hope for California is if believers get out and vote, which is the works to our faith. We're believing for the nation to turn around, but are we willing to put our works to it to get to the polls and vote. He said, if every Christian would have voted at the polls for conservative righteous people, the Senate would be overturned and the conservatives would have the supermajority to ensure that bills like this never pass again. I don't, I hope that doesn't discourage you. I hope that fills you with hope and encouragement, knowing that one simple working action of being the salt and the light and putting action by voting to the faith that we're believing for that things will turn around, that we actually can turn this state around in even one election. The primaries are happening the first week of June. We have the authority to vote into office people that have righteous, godly values, and we can turn this nation around by one simple working act. There's a powerful scripture in 2 Chronicles, 2 Chronicles 7, 14. If my people 
who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray faith and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sins and heal their land. So God's talking about us in the scriptures, believers in this scripture. He's giving us a strategy to heal our land, to pray and to seek his face and then to turn from our wicked ways then. And I don't know about you, but I've misinterpreted this scripture over the years and just subconsciously in my mind when it says and turn from their wicked ways, I always thought it was just like wicked people out there like the people that aren't saved and don't know Jesus, that are like in, in, engaging in egregious sins and, and all of those kinds of people out there, those wicked people. But I, it was like I was subconsciously thinking that they were other people, not us. But when I read the scripture last night, it's saying to us to turn from our wicked ways. Believers, I don't know if any believer would categorize themselves necessarily as wicked, maybe not always good, but not wicked. But here's the thing, isn't it equally as wicked to see and to have the ability to stop evil, yet sit back and do nothing about it? Isn't that equally as wicked? There's a quote that says, the only thing necessary for triumph of evil is for good men to do nothing. We have an opportunity to make our faith perfect by adding works to the things we're believing for. We can't just pray and complain that there's wickedness. We are not powerless. We are so powerful through our prayers, our faith, and our works. We don't have to be powerless. We can turn this thing around. We can turn it, and this, this is why some people get so frustrated that we talk about these types of matters from our platforms. I'm personally ashamed that more people don't. We're the salt and we're the light. We're the hope of the world. We're not to sit back as passive Christians letting wickedness and murder and terrible things happen? Absolutely not. We have to be, we are the light. So you wonder why it's so dark is because the ones that are carrying the light refuse to go into those spheres of culture. We need to start just have an army. I don't, we don't need ones and twos. We need armies to understand their rightful place and taking their rightful responsibility as believers as the light and the salt of the earth. Go into all the world, the Bible says. That's why we never shy away or apologize from these things. And we've had many people leave over the years because we actually speak about these things, but I'm okay with that. I'm here to win the majority and make a difference. We'll never apologize to adding works to our faith. We're praying and believing that everything will turn around for our children, for our education, for humanity, for the unborn, for marriages, for our businesses. I'll never apologize to adding works to the faith and the things that I'm believing and praying for, and nor should you, nor should you. I just wanna encourage you today. We are not powerless. We are powerful, 
powerful. We need to pray. We need to believe. But our faith without works is dead. Yes, Lord. Amen. Amen. I think we just need to give God a praise right now. It's all possible. All things are possible with God. This state and this nation is turning around. Oh, a state of righteousness, light, and hope, and life for our children. Not just our children, but our children's children. We believe that our children can grow up in a world that is better than the one that is in today. I hope that encourages you, that we are in the fight. We are fighting. We don't want to just fight for you. We want to fight with you. We want to fight with you to turn this thing around. Let that encourage you. We are committed to the long game here at Awaken Church. Let that fill you with hope today that you're not alone, that you have an army of believers fighting with you to turn things around. And I want to give people an opportunity to respond to Jesus right now. You know, even Jesus applied works to his faith. Jesus went to the cross to die on the cross for our sins in faith, believing that we would receive his gift of salvation. He went to the cross for us, taking our place for our sin and our penalty onto his shoulders, having faith before we even chose him, that we would one day choose him. Even Jesus put works to his faith by going to the cross because he believes so much in this moment. I would love if everyone just bow their heads and close their eyes really quickly. If you are in here today, and you have never surrendered your life to Jesus. I know you don't have all your questions answered, but all you know is you need a fresh start. You need to be forgiven. You need a new beginning. You need this God that can fill you with power to have authority over all the wicked things that are happening in your life and in the world. This God that can fill you up the same power that raised Jesus from the dead can live in you. And you can assert that power and authority through your prayers. If you need this Jesus in your life, you need to be forgiven. And maybe at one point you prayed a prayer and asked Jesus into your life, but when things just things hit the fan and you just took back control of your life and you want to re-surrender your life to Jesus today, you are here for that very moment. So while no one else is looking around and you are in here and you know you need to surrender your life to Jesus, can you just lift your hand up well, so I can include you in my prayer? Who am I praying for today? Yes, sir, I see right there. You were the first one in the black t-shirt right there. Praise God. Yes, I see one, two, three, four, five, six, right here on the front section. Yes, I see you beautiful in the denim jacket. Is there anyone else I'm making? My, yes, I see you in the black hat up there. Sir, get close to the wall. I see you. I see your hands, sir. Yes, right here close to the rail. Yes, I see you. I see you gorgeous in your black dress right here. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. Anyone else? Who else? I see you. Yes, I see the hands sitting and I see your hands, sir. Praise God. Right here in the hat. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Once I've seen your hand, you can put it down. Thank you, Lord. I see you. Yes. There's so many of you. Thank you, God. And, I, and I, I need to pray and I need to end the service, but don't exclude yourself from being included in this prayer. I'm going to have everyone stand to their feet right now. This is the most powerful, important decision you could ever make. 
you understand that you don't only just get a new start, a fresh start, you're forgiven. He has a life that is full of abundance and blessing for you here on the earth. And when you breathe your last breath here on this earth, you know that your eternity is secure in heaven with him. So we're all going to pray this prayer together. So everyone just repeat after me. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for sending Jesus in faith, believing that I would one day surrender my life to you. I thank you, Lord, that you are my father. And I declare, I am your child. Fill me this day with your power, with your authority that I would step into my authority and dominion over all the power of the enemy. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. Lead me, guide me, show me how to follow you all the days of my life. In Jesus' name, amen. Wow, what an amazing word. I hope you enjoyed that as much as I did. Hey, listen. For more information about our church, go to www.awakenchurch.com or subscribe to our YouTube channel if you haven't already and download our app. It is amazing. It is chock full of incredible messages, information about upcoming events, and you can even support our ministry if you feel so inclined. We loved having you with us today. We look forward to seeing you again. God bless you. Live a life that is transformative. Bye for now. Bye for now.